I'm, uh, I'm continuing in our series, He Gets Us. He Gets Us. By the way, I know there's some visitors here. My name's Lee. I'm one of the youth pastors here uh, with, the, with the senior high. And uh, we're glad, glad you're here this morning. Glad you're joining us just to dig into God's word and worship and have fun. So this is, I've been thinking about this He Gets Us series. One of the things that I really like about it and I was thinking about is I personally, I'm thinking it's all of you guys. I like when I know someone that has walked the same path as me. They've gone through something very specific that I've gone through. Because then all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? I'm like, they understand my struggle. They understand the weaknesses, the nuances, the intricacies of what it means to walk in my shoes. And one of the things that, just to help you understand this, and, and maybe you'll get it, like when there's someone that's really gone through something you've gone through, how much more you connect with them because they get you. I know when, when Bob was a youth pastor here, Bob Shaw, and uh, we would meet a lot, and his son was going through ranger school to be an army ranger. And some of the things that he would talk about that his son John had to go through, I mean, I could not imagine it, but even more, if I talked to him, he would, like, if I said, yeah, man, I, I totally get what you're going through. He'd be like, what? You don't understand anything of what I'm going through, right? It would sound silly for me to say that because I have no clue. I haven't been through it. But one of the harder things that I've gone through in my life was the journey of foster care and fostering multiple kids and children and teens and infants, actually. Um, and when someone would come to me and they would talk to us and encourage us. I so appreciate it in the journey, but when someone that had been in foster care or was in foster care as a foster parent, when they came and talked to me, all of a sudden I was like, you get me. Like, you get it, right? And all of a sudden I want to listen to you in a different way. And so the whole desire of this series is that you get to, to understand how Jesus gets us. And, it, and it's, not, it's not to try to bring Jesus down to some superhuman level and not keep him as God but to realize that he's fully God and fully man. And how cool is the God that is fully God and fully man? He gets us and he walked through the things that he did. So today I'm gonna be talking to you about how he gets us in the journey of following him. How he gets us in the journey of following him. I'm gonna talk about the life of Jesus and then I'm also gonna, and it's gonna be kind of high level, but I'm gonna kind of high level talk about the life of Jesus and, and his journey. And then I'm gonna talk about the life of the disciples and how Jesus walked them <clears throat> through the journey. And so for me, I just was gonna start off with a story of something that uh, I had no clue of what the end result was gonna be or how I was gonna get there or what it would take and the training and growth process and how God kind of walked me through that. And it's a story of how, I came to, to be in ministry, to be in full-time ministry. Um, my parents did, uh, grew up, you know, my parents went to church. I grew up in church, but they were never in full-time ministry. No one in my family's ever been in ministry before. And when I was in high school, uh, God was like, or I was more like, I want to be a youth pastor. And that was God's call in my life. I didn't realize it at that time. Honestly, I just thought it meant fun all the time. I was like, I like having fun. I just want to have fun all the time. And so that was kind of how it all began right? So I was involved in, in my student ministry in my church growing up. Um, and then I ended up wanting to go to Liberty because they had a, uh, a major in youth ministry. So I go to Liberty, start taking classes. Well, I, it's funny that God would say, I want you to be a youth pastor in high school because I was like one of those total two-faced Christians, like lived one way in church, lived a completely different way outside of church, which uh, that just shows you that, that God can redeem things. 
And so I, I go to Liberty and then I get into this kind of Bible study. We called him a prayer group then. And there's this guy, Mackenzie, and uh, he was like my prayer leader. And he began investing in my life. He kind of began discipling me without me even knowing it, right? He was kind of like, follow me as I follow Jesus. And he never came out and said it like that, but I could tell he cared for me. And I'm like, there's something about this guy that, that I really like. And so then I'm, I'm majoring in student ministry. I'm learning about student ministry. And then I get asked to be like one of a, uh, a kind of like a small group leader in that prayer group. So God kind of leads me in that. And I can remember when I first started, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. How am I going to help these guys? I need help. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to possibly help them? But I was like, okay, God, like you call me to this. People saw this in me. I'll, I'll take this step and do it. And so I grew in that having like five guys that I was able to kind of care through each week. And that was really cool. And then a little bit after that, God called me to start a Bible study with some of the, some of my friends at Liberty. And I was like, okay, Lord, I don't really know. I've never like come up with this on my own. When we did the prayer groups, we would always get the lesson and know exactly what it was, but God called me that. So started doing that. And then, um, then I started volunteering at a local church and being uh, in, a, in the student ministry there. And so that was another kind of step like, okay, wow, like now I'm a leader for these high school students and need to be an example. And what about the things that I'm telling them to do? Am I actually doing them in my life? And so God continues in this process of, of growth and, and stretching me. And, and each thing that I did before was preparing me for the next thing. And so then uh, after I graduate from Liberty, from my undergrad with youth ministry, um, I, knew, I knew that I was not ready to go into full-time ministry. I knew I wasn't mature enough wasn't ready enough. And so I got a job at the grounds department, which paid for me to get my seminary degree. And at the same time, I was continuing to volunteer uh, in local ministry in a church, but I was learning how to be around people that weren't necessarily Christians or didn't really care about living it out. And how was I going to live it out? And that was a real stretching time for me uh, to learn, like, how do I love the people around me? How do I be a good employee? And again, God is just using all of this to, to grow in me. And, and I had some difficult relationships with some guys at work and had to learn how to process through that. But God, God wasn't scared to allow me to go through some difficult things, to allow me to be stretched and grown. And, and so then um, right before I graduated my seminary degree, God allowed me to step into kind of a more of a, a volunteer leadership role in a local youth ministry. So we were given some vision and leadership to things. And, you know, when I look back at where... I started as like a prayer group leader. Like I was like, how would I, Lord, how would you bring me here? But it was each step along the way that he was growing me. And then ultimately to come here and be the student associate youth pastor under Bob for almost eight years. And then now transitioning almost, two, going on almost two years ago to be the, the main youth pastor here. And it's not that I ever did it perfectly, but I could never have done each of those well without the preparation and growth process along the way. And God didn't tell me, here's the things you're going to need to go through to get there. Because honestly, if God would have told me what I needed to go through to get there, I would have been like, nah, I'll do something easier, God. I'd just much rather do something easier. But God will say, well, here's where I want you to go. And he says, I'll walk with you along the way. He's like, if I tell you everything, you'll be way too scared, right? But I'll give you what you need along the way. And so I knew that the different difficulties that would come along with each stage, um, I would see God move and work as he did. So here's what I want you to do at your tables as we kick this off. What about you? What's something that maybe you've stepped out and did, not having a guarantee of what the end result would be? And why did you do it when you didn't know what the end result would be? So take about four minutes to do that. Go ahead. Okay. If you can turn back, uh, turn back up here.
<clears throat> so my, my goal with that question was just to get you to kind of begin thinking about how there is things that you've done without realizing it. And there's a lot of things we do that we don't really know what the end result is going to be, but we, we want to try to do it. And maybe we know what we want, but we don't know exactly what the end result <clears throat> is going to be. So God is constantly using the things in our lives as we follow him to prepare us for what's next. And that's where he gets us. He gets that we can't handle everything at once. He knows our fears and weaknesses. He knows that we need preparation. He knows we don't know everything and that we need to walk by faith and he will walk us along. So I don't know about you though, but what I really like is, I really like when nothing's hard. Like I like it when, when God's like, I like it when it, for me, it'd be like, there's nothing hard. Like, Lord, I'm not being stretched. I'm not being grown. I, I want it to just be stable. And yet that's not how God works. And it's not, it's not that God is always wanting things to be hard or difficult in our life. That's not what I'm saying. But I think we can all just look back and see how it's the difficult things as we follow him that God has used to shape us and grow us the most if we allow him. And he is patient and gentle with us calling us to make small steps that lead to bigger steps. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start out with the life of Jesus. I wanna help bring some things out from the life of Jesus that you may have never noticed before. And then we're gonna kind of quickly look at the disciples' life to kind of help us to relate to where are we in this journey of following Jesus. So here's a little bit of a disclaimer. I know we're working through the book of Matthew and I'm gonna use the book of Matthew, but I'm also gonna use all the other gospels. The gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the gospels because they're called the good news because they're the good news about Jesus's life. They're the books of the New Testament that tell us about Jesus's life. So here is something you may or may not have ever thought about. Jesus spends the first 30 years of his life basically in obscurity. Nobody knows who he is really. Like he has this crazy cool birth, right? Where the king is trying to like, to kill him, he, the king, king Herod's going out like, oh, let's kill all the, all the baby boys. But then he has the, really the next 30 years of his life where he kind of lives in relative obscurity. I'm kind of like, well, how exactly does that happen? But that's what happens. He lives in relative obscurity. And I think it's interesting that we struggle, you, me, especially in this area, I believe, we struggle when we're in middle school and we don't have something great accomplished. We haven't made like 500 YouTube followers or we don't know exactly what college or career or salary, right? Like we struggle because we're like, I haven't done something with my life. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. And you know what? God was fine with 30 years of preparing Jesus. And now maybe we need to chill out a little bit to not have it all figured out and realize that God is okay with us growing in faith and obedience to him without having maybe accomplished something huge. Now, I started off with that because that's kind of the setting of the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Here's what Matthew 2, 1 tells us. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea in the days of King Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So look, this is really simple. But Jesus came as a baby and he grew throughout his life. We just need to simply remember that to get that he gets us. Jesus was an infant. He was a toddler. He was a child. He learned how to walk. He learned how to eat. He had to poop. I'll just say it. It's true. He had, to, he had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to read and write. He had to learn how to play nicely. And he did all that and learning it without sin. But just reality is Jesus grew from a baby 
to a toddler to then we get to his teen years. And we don't know a lot about Jesus' teen years, but here's, what we, here's the story we do know. Luke 2, 41-42 says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, <clears throat> they went up according to custom. So we, we learn that Jesus, when he's 12, they go, his family goes, as was custom, to the Feast of the Passover. So they make their way to Jerusalem for this big feast. And here's a 48 through 50, Luke 2, 48 through 51 uh, says, we learn that Jesus learned to be submissive to his parents. Here's what it says. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? So they come, so what happens is they, they, uh, they go to the Passover. His parents leave. There's a big group of them. They're big family group, friends all together. They kind of think, oh, Jesus is there. It's all good. They get a ways away. And all of a sudden they realize Jesus isn't with us. And so they have to go back to Jerusalem. And like they're in great distress. They're like, where's our son? I'm sure Mary's like, it's God. I left God. What do I do, right? Like, how does that work? But anyways, she's like, it's my kid. I got to figure out. So they go back, they're searching for him. And then when they find him, they say, man, your father and I have been searching for you. We're in great distress. And this is what Jesus said to them. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Now, I don't know. When I read that, I sort of read sarcasm into that. But I, I, I'm like, he could have been being sarcastic. Like, isn't that a sin? So I don't think he said it sarcastically. I think Jesus just said it with the most deadpan face. He's like, don't you know? I'm supposed to be in my father's house. I'm learning and growing about my father and knowing who he is. And so here's what's interesting. If you go to that, that next slide, this is what it says. And they did not understand that the saying that he spoke to them. And he went and he went down with them, so he goes with them and came to his Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus grew without sin in a, in a way. He grew, or he grew without sin to learn to be submissive. He had to learn to be submissive. So let me ask you this. This idea of he gets us, do you believe that you're, what maybe you're going through with your parents today or with a coach or a teacher or someone in authority, that God is wanting you to learn to be submissive? just like Jesus was. Jesus had to learn to be submissive. Learning to, is learning to obey maybe when we don't totally agree with what they're telling us to do. Not that it's sin, but we're like, well, I want this, and this doesn't make sense. Why are you telling me to do this? And God's using these opportunities in our life for us to learn and grow in submissiveness. And here's what it says in Luke 2.52 as it ends off this story to kind of tell us about sort of Jesus's teen years, probably into what we would call as young adult years. They didn't really have young adults back then. You just kind of went from like a kid to an adult. But this is what it says in Luke 2.52. It says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew in his wisdom, how to apply God's knowledge, how to apply knowledge on this earth to live well. He grew in stature. He literally grew physically, those physical changes in his body. He learned to grow in them. And he, he grew in favor with God and man. Jesus had to learn obedience. He had to learn how to do chores. He had to learn how to work. He had to learn how to deal with temptation. So when we say that Jesus gets us, he gets you. He gets where you're at right now. He gets the temptation that you're dealing with. And now, I want, I want you to read this. This is, a, this is a prophetic psalm about Jesus so that you can understand some of his teen years and understand how much he gets you. So the psalmist writes this. And this is looking to Jesus. It says, For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. 
For your zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. If you can go to that next slide, if you can go one more over. Sorry, I don't have, I don't have this one written down. When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth for my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit at the gate, and the drunkards make song about me. They believe, scholars believe that this is actually referring to probably Jesus' growing up years. That a lot of people are like, dude, you are weird. Well, why, why we're all ready to leave the Passover? We were just doing that because our parents wanted to. And you're here at the temple still? Like, Jesus, why do you care so much about the, the, the Torah, the Old Testament? Come on, man, we're supposed to be going to have fun. And so Jesus gets it. He gets being alienated. His own brothers were alienated from him. They thought he was weird. So Jesus gets us. And so we learn about his childhood. We learn about his growing up years. And here's the thing. It says, Luke 3.23 says, when he, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. And it says, being the son, as was supposed. This is what Luke says. Now, Luke, I, I looked this up because I was like, you're going to wonder, why does it say as was supposed? Luke was his physician. Luke is the most detailed writer of all the gospels. Luke knew that he was 30. He was 100% sure he was 30. But he says, as was supposed, because back in those days, 30 was when you were thought to be of kind of a mature age in life. So Luke is kind of saying out there like, yes, as was supposed, because he was supposed to be mature at this age. That's why he began his ministry then. So again, 30 years of relative obscurity. But God was using all these things in his life to grow him, to be ready for the process of starting his ministry. So here's how Jesus begins his ministry, his public ministry, where he goes out and he begins teaching and he begins telling people <clears throat> who he is. Let me get a drink here. Matthew three sixteen through 17 says this, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So God, I believe God knew that Jesus in his humanity needed God, his father, to say to him, it is in you I am well pleased. I see you. I see your life. I'm well pleased with you. It is now time to go out and do this. So I think sometimes in our lives, God knows we just need confirmation, right? Like we just need confirmation. When someone just says to you, you know, you're good at that. I see that in you. When someone that you respect says, I can see you doing this. That's confirmation, right? And so in the same way, Jesus, Jesus got some of that confirmation for him to go out. And so here's what happens immediately after the baptism. Immediately after he's baptized, this confirmation from God. This is what Matthew 4, 1 says. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That is what God used to shape and ready him to go out into this public ministry. Satan tempts him as he's out in the desert. Tempts him with power, with material things, with, with the, his own pride that, that he could somehow you know, be better than God. And how does Jesus defend? He always goes to God's word. He says, you know, God's word is the bread of life. This is what I really need. And so God didn't allow Jesus to have this nice cushy life as a king, even though he could have. Jesus went through immense trial, suffering, and the growth in the process of ultimately dying on the cross, but then to be resurrected again. So when he calls us to follow him and it's hard, he gets us. He gets us. And so as then after he's gone through these 30 years of God just preparing him, doesn't seem like a lot's going on, just growing, learning to be obedient to God, to his parents. 
He then has this baptism where God's like, you're my son. I'm well pleased with you. It's now time to go. And he goes out in the desert and he's tempted. And then it says in Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is where he begins his ministry. So just to recap, three points from Jesus's life. One, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God. And so do we. For your years, your, <coughs> your elementary school years, your middle school years, your high school years, God's using them. They're not wasted years. These years right now are not wasted years. These are not years to just get through to get to the next thing. God's like, I am using these in your life right now. And so do you view your years left in high school as important in your growth process and wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man? Or do you view it as just a time to kind of have fun and to get through? And it's not to say that you can't have fun, but it's to say, do you see that God wants to use them in your life? How could changing your view of your high school years change how you live now? to see that God wants to use it as a growth process. The second thing is, God's timeline is different than ours. God was okay with Jesus, his son, spending 30 years in relative obscurity. And so I just want, my thing is just, here's, here's a good reason to take a deep breath and say, it's okay if you don't have your life figured out, if you don't know exactly what college you're going to, or exactly which career you have, you're gonna have, that you can, Rest in going, Lord, how do I follow you now? And that is not an excuse to not do anything. That is an excuse to trust in the Lord and follow him obediently and know he will guide your path. And the third thing is Jesus gets us because <coughs> God grew him, stretched him, and challenged him through difficult times. If you can go to that slide on Hebrews 2, 17 to 18, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or payment for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus gets us in our temptation. He gets us when it's hard and we're going through trials and we're struggling through things. So at your tables, discuss this. How does understanding Jesus's growth process as a child and an adult help you to know that he gets us? So what kind of resonated with you from his story? Go ahead. All right, turn back up here. We're gonna keep going. I wanted, I wanted you to hear about the life of Jesus and how God brought him through this process of, of following God and growing and being stretched so that then we can really see how Jesus then, I think, gets the disciples and gets the process that he takes them in because of how God led him. So I wanna start out in, in Matthew 4, 18 through 22. If you can... If you can go there on the slides. Yeah. Um, it says, Now, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father, and followed him. Now, when, if you read this in the book of Matthew, if you're just reading through the book of Matthew, you learn about Jesus' baptism, you learn about temptation, and then all of a sudden you get to this story. And I always read this and just thought, oh, like, Jesus is literally walking along the beach, you know, he's got the flowy hair going on, and he just sees these guys, and he's like, come follow me. And this is like the first time he's ever met them. And they're like, all right, it's all down, let's go. Like, that's what I've always thought it was. 
Is anybody else like me? Can you be honest? Like a little bit? Okay, some of you, some of you are embarrassed. You all have. Okay. Um, no, but I mean, that's, that's, that's what I always thought. And then I've done this uh, study called uh, 50 Days of Knowing Him. And it walks you chronologically through the life of Jesus. And Matthew is not the best chronological writer at all. But Luke is a great chronological writer. And so this is not the first time that Jesus has ever met these guys. Um, if, you go, if we go look and we look in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42, it says this. This helps us understand the timeline. And what I'm about to tell you is prior to what Matthew writes about. It says, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. He's this forerunner to Jesus. He's the guy <laughs> that comes to announce about Jesus. And he looked at Jesus and he, uh, he said, he watched Jesus walk by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. So there's two disciples that have been following John. Jesus walks by and he's like, that's the Lamb of God, which is John's such a humble character in the Bible. And then these two guys go, well, if he's the Lamb of God, then we're going to go follow him. And John's like, go ahead. So Jesus turned and saw them following them and said, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teachers, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came, saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. (coughs) He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. I will call you Cephas. This, there's three stages, I think, that we see in scripture of following Jesus. I'm trying to represent him in chairs so you can think of yourself there. This is the first stage. Sorry if you can't see it, but the first stage is come and see. Come and see. That's what that sign says on the chair. It says, come and see. This is the first stage. Jesus says to him, what are you seeking? And then he says to them, come and see. And see, during this stage, Jesus is helping the disciples understand who he is. The, that he's the son of God. He's the lamb of God who, take, who will take away the sins of the world. He walks the disciples through the Old Testament. He walks into the Old Testament. He says, yep, that's about me. That's a prophecy about me. I'm the Messiah you've been waiting for. And he's allowing them to come and see who he is. Now, Jesus could have, by all means, he could have right away said, Drop everything, drop your career, drop your family, drop your friends, leave your hometown, leave all your money. He could have said whatever it may be. And he said, come follow me. And that would have been completely fine. That would have been totally fine. He's Jesus. He could do that. But he slowly walked them into it. He said, come and see. Come and see what this is all about. He understood they needed to fully know who he was and what he was all about before they committed their lives to following him. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's what, like, if you're in this room, maybe a friend of yours has said to you, hey, come and see what this is all about, what we do here, right? They're like, we want you to kind of come and see what this is all about. And that's what Jesus invites you to. He's like, come and see what this is all about. And this might be the stage where some of you are right now, or maybe some of you have been in the past. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about following him. You, maybe you're intrigued about God. You're intrigued about Jesus, the church, and Christians. You're, you're kind of looking from the outside in to, and learning and growing. Um, you're learning about who God is, what Jesus is all about. Or for some of you who are Christians now, maybe this was a stage of life that you were in. Maybe, you know, you grew up in a church, you were part of the church, your family went to church, you saw your parents read their Bible and do Christian things, but you were always kind of coming and seeing. 
you were intrigued by the stories and you like coming to church. Now, I believe, and this is what, what many scholars believe, that this come and see stage probably lasted about two and a half years. Probably lasted about two and a half years that he was with this group of disciples when he finally took the 12 disciples and he's telling them to come and see. So that's the first stage, come and see. Maybe that's where some of you are in this process of following Jesus. The second stage is this. John 1.43 says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, follow me. So this is stage number two. He calls him, he says, follow me. There's a, there, there's a difference here between the come and see and follow me. The come and see is like, come and watch. Come and see what it's all about. I'm not going to push you out to do anything. I want you to know who I am. But then after that two and a half years, he says, now come and follow me. And during this stage, the disciples are, are learning that Jesus is not only the way to God, but he is the truth. He's daily revealing to them more and more of who he is. They begin following him and his life. They begin seeing miracles that he did, they're getting kind of pushed out in their own way to follow him and take steps of faith. Here's, here's what happened in probably this, in this two and a half year period, just through the book of John. They see Jesus turn water to wine. They see him go into the temple and get righteously angry over what's happening in the temple for what they're selling. They, in John chapter three, um, they, they see Jesus go out and, and was baptizing in John chapter four. He interacts with the Samaritan woman, which was totally countercultural. They see him heal the probably a Roman official's son. They see in John chapter five, they see him heal the lame man at the pool on the Sabbath and get the, the religious leaders get really ticked off at him for doing that. And they see G Jesus handle that. They see Jesus tell the religious leaders that he's equal with God. In John chapter six, they see him feed 5,000 people and they're a part of that. And then they see Jesus walk on water. John chapter eight, Jesus forgives the woman in adultery. John chapter nine, Jesus heals the man born blind. These are all the things that these disciples get to see as they're following Jesus. And so the stage of follow me, if you're kind of in this stage right now, this stage is a lot about inward growth. That's what he was doing to the disciples. He was really helping them grow inwardly and in knowing who he is and how they need to know him. So it's marked by a lot of inward growth. And they decided to follow him. And I believe that in this stage, this is where you kind of go from, hey, I'm just coming to see about this Jesus thing. And right here, you're like, I've placed my faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And there's a lot of inward growth that's happening. God's growing. He's transforming your life, giving you new desires. And then we get to the last stage, stage number three. And this brings us back to Matthew 4.19. We kind of bring it full circle. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Because we know from Luke that this isn't the first time that Jesus has met these guys. Actually, we read a chapter earlier in Luke that Jesus had actually gone and healed Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter's probably spent this two and a half years with Jesus. And most likely what happens after this two and a half years of kind of the come and see, he, he then goes, Peter's like, you know, I don't know. Maybe the Jesus thing's real. Maybe it's not. Peter and, and his brother, they go back to this life of fishing. They're like, okay, Jesus thing, maybe, maybe not. And so he goes back to this life of fishing to what he knows. And so when Jesus comes to him in Matthew chapter four, and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We got to read the full story. Go to the one on Luke chapter five, because this, this makes it really poignant. Luke five, and one occasion while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake Gennesaret. 
That's the Sea of Galilee. It's another way to say it. And he saw two boats by the lake. This was like the main source of where they got their food from, from the Sea of Galilee. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So they were kind of done fishing because they were washing their nets. And getting into the one of boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. So he gets in Peter's boat, Simon Peter. He knows Peter. He's, he's lived with them for two and a half years now. And he sat down and he talked to people from the boat. If you can go to the next slide. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon or Peter, if you know anything about Peter, I like Peter because Peter just does stupid things sometimes. He says stupid things sometimes. I'm like, I really relate to you. And it's true. If you spend any time around me, you know. And Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing. I feel like Peter's like, I feel like in his mind, unsanctified, Peter's probably like Jesus. You were a carpenter. I was a fisherman. Don't tell me how to fish. I won't tell you how to carpenter. Um, and when, and so he's like, we had nothing, but look at your word. He, I've spent two and a half years with you at your word. I'll do this. And so when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish that their nets were breaking. This is where Jesus said to him, you know what? You spent two and a half years with me. You've seen me. And maybe Peter kind of walked away. He's like, I don't know. And so when he finally comes to him, he says, look, now it's time. It's time to become fishers of men. It's time to just go from the come and see to the, just, to the follow me, take me as your savior, to now it's come and saying, it's now time to live this out. And so in, in verses eight through 11, it says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Peter, I think, I think, if I, if I understand this passage, I feel like Peter's like, God, why did I not believe and really want to follow you with my whole life after that two and a half years? And Jesus does this large catch of fish and he's like, okay, it's time now. And says, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Peter, Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. You will be fishers of men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. See, it makes a whole lot more sense when you know the full chronology of the story that you realize they had spent two and a half years with him. Jesus had told him who he was. They had seen the miracles. And then he comes in and he says, now it's time to drop everything and become a real full disciple of mine and follow me. And now all of a sudden it goes from an, just an inward growth to now it's time to be outward and how I live it out to go start telling people about Jesus to begin serving people with a heart for Jesus. You know, Peter's response is his own lack of faith. You know what's so cool about that and why Jesus gets us? He says, don't be afraid. If you're like me, you get afraid. You get fearful, right? And it's hard. Like, I don't know what it's gonna look like, God. And God's like, I get it. Don't be afraid. I'll walk with you. And so it's important because Jesus had walked them through these stages. He gets us. In the path of following him, he goes, I'm not going to tell you everything because if I told it all to you, you wouldn't do it. But look, you're going to see me work in some cool ways. And there's also going to be some really hard ways. But you've seen who I am. And so you can't deny who I am because you've seen the miracles. You've seen me change other people's life. You know my word's true. And he says, come follow me. And he says, let's start being outward and let's be fishers of men, right? Discover God, engage people. Disciples who make disciples. So Jesus gets it. So my question to you is, what stage are you in? What stage are you in? Are you kind of in the, are you in the come and see? You've been checking it out, right? And maybe God's like, you know what? It's time to move from the come and see to the follow me. You've heard enough. You know who I am. You know I'm the Messiah. You know I'm the one that came to pay for your sins. I, I, I am the one I am, the Savior. Place your faith in me 
And maybe you've been in this one for a while, and you've been growing for a long time, but you're kind of like, you know, I kind of like this me and Jesus thing. It's kind of cool. And God's like, you know what? It's now it's time to move into here. Let's start living this out. Let's start living this out outwardly. And this doesn't mean that you become a pastor, you become a missionary, you become full. That doesn't, that has necessarily nothing to do with it. Maybe that is what God's calling you to. But more of it is, is like, will you begin being outward in how you live with your faith, wherever God takes you and all the things that you do. So I encourage you to come back to Shepherd Group this week as we get more in depth in talking about these three stages and maybe which one you're in and identifying that and how to begin moving to the next stage. But ultimately, um, I want you to just end with this question. How did the way Jesus led the disciples encourage you as you follow him? So how did the way that Jesus led his disciples encourage you as you follow him? Go ahead.